Samaritan's Purse is in the process of setting up an emergency field hospital in western Ukraine. The DC-8 cargo plane airlifted the initial phase of the hospital on March 4th, along with disaster assistance response team members, including doctors, nurses, logistics, and other personnel. The field hospital will have two operating rooms with capacity for 14 major surgeries or 30 minor surgeries per day. The emergency room can handle 100 patients per day, and the facility also has a pharmacy and its own water and sanitation system. Ukrainian families are hurting and in desperate need of physical aid and prayer during this difficult time. You can be a part of helping the people of Ukraine. Donate now at SamaritansPurse.org. Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. And can you imagine if her husband had just went over those tables and slapped one of those senators? That I mean, he, he that would not have been good. So, you know, if he I think, could sit I, there. I think it would have been great because they need it. Now, Phil, you, you said like a white guy. I'm from the hood. You know, you know, Odell got some hood in him. And then Odell has, you know, the, the Reverend Odell. And being misunderstood, I think, is just part of the journey. It's part of leadership. Jesus was misunderstood. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for better understanding. Father God, we come to you saying thank you for grace and mercy. Just thank you for all the things that you're doing in all of our lives, and we just continue to just in awe. You know, when we look back over our life and we think things over, I know I can truly say that I've been blessed and I do have a testimony. God, thank you for continuing to take care of my mother. Thank you for healing my sister. Thank you for just keeping me and my brother. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for a great weekend. Thank you for my brother, Odell, that he had a safe trip down to see us, take care of his mom in Spartanburg. Uh, Lord, thank you for our guest today, uh, Mary Thomas. Uh, a significant person in the Spartanburg, South Carolina area. Uh, Lord, we lift up our families, watch over them, keep them safe. And we thank you for all the blessings you've given us. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, Lord, thanking you for this beautiful day that you've allowed us to see, a day that we've never seen before and a day that we'll never see again. And Lord, we just ask that you help us to uh, acknowledge you in all of our ways and, and to do the work that you've assigned our hands to do. Give us the power and the strength to endure. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So, Bill, how you doing, my friend? 
I'm doing good, Odell. Did you have you have safe travels? Was it a busy day, a busy time in South Carolina? You know, I had a glorious time in South Carolina. It's always good anytime I could go and see my mother. And you know, it's interesting. I got all kind of calls this morning because, of course, when I'm down in South Carolina, you know, I'm up all night with my mom, and they called me about two things, Bill. They called me about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, and and you know, and I started thinking about it. It's like what? It's like what do, you, what do you think about that, Bill? Because the first thing I thought about is in the heat of the night, you know, when um, the guy slapped, uh, was it Sidney Portier? Yes, that's correct. And he slapped him right yeah. back, and the guy looked at um, the sheriff and said, what you going to do? And so my question to you, Bill, if Chris Rock was a white guy, would Will Smith have walked up there and slapped him? Well, you know, that's a great question. You know, I... I I didn't see it. It popped up on my my stuff this morning. So I started looking at it and said, man, there's got to be a backstory here. And uh, and so I, I dug in a little. And uh, the answer to your question is I'm going to I'm going to give a little backstory and then answer your question. I guess Chris Rock had uh, mocked his wife a number of times in events. And I don't encourage in. in uh, and one of the things that he said for this one is, when is she going to play G.I. Joe? Because wow. she has no hair. And wow. uh, it was it was when uh, Demi Moore played G.I. Joe, she shaved her head. And so okay. he, he, he was mocking her because she had no hair. Well, the fact is she has a medical condition that makes her hair fall out. She has a disease. And, and I think it just set off Will. And he went up and slapped her. And then when he went back to his seat, Chris Rock, not smart enough to keep his mouth shut, started saying a few more things. And, and Will basically told him, don't you have my wife's name come out of your mouth? Now, Bill, you, you said like a white guy. I'm from the hood. You know, you know, Odell got some hood in him. And then Odell has, you know, you know, the, the Reverend Odell. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to leave the Reverend alone. Let me go back to the hood, the hood rat Odell. So I got a lot of different friends. And I got calls from my white friends, my Christian white evangelical friends, like, oh, my God, Odell, I cannot believe what happened. And I got calls from my hood friends. And let me just tell you what my hood friend said today. He said, you know, I don't. And these guys come from the hood with me, real successful, travel, a lot of money, guys. They like, but they still hood. And that's why we get along. And it's like, oh, man, Will just slapped him. Will know who to slap and who not to slap. I bet Will wouldn't slap um uh, 50 cents or he wouldn't have slapped, um, you know, Snoop Dogg. And it's like, if he was so defending his wife, Anna, why didn't he slap Augusta Allison? Augusta Allison is a, is a young rapper who Jada um, had a romantic relationship with. So like, you so mad, you want to slap somebody, you know who to slap. And what my man said was, he went on to slap that little boy, you know, little boy. So from the hood, we're like, you know who to slap and who not to slap. So Usually I get my hood calls late in the evening after eight, Bill. But I guess this kind of woke up one of my hood friends and he's like, nah, man, he know who to slap and who he wouldn't slap. But again, one of my white evangelical pastor friends called and said, oh, my God. And not trying to be funny, but I love Will Smith. I like Will Smith because Will is seen by some in our society as the OK black guy. Right. And so it's like I just couldn't believe Will did that and everything else. So Will Bill, not Will. Bill, I have two sets of friends. I got my black hood friends and my black rich friends. I got my white rich friends. And I ain't got too many white hood friends because there wasn't too many white folks living in the hood when I grew up. (laughs) 
Yeah, you didn't see him walking around much, did you? Not well, <laughs> no, but check it out now. Now the neighborhood I live in, I got more white folks in there now, Bill, and now the house is going for $300,000 now. Same neighborhood. Wow. It's two minutes from downtown Charleston, so we're in Look, the middle of it now. Location. So it's just interesting when you think about the slap, the heat of the night, and the key is, Bill, if a white guy would have walked up there and slapped a black guy, what would have happened? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I, I, I thought about that. What what happens if uh, it was a woman mocker? Would he go up and slap ah, a woman? Whether she's know. black or white. You know, where does it where do you draw the line? And uh, ah, you got a good question. And so so I, I think, you know, he obviously I, I think it was the heat of the motion. But, you know, is that an acceptable behavior? I, I also heard that uh, Chris Rock is not going to press charges because it's going to be hard to deny that he wasn't slapped. It was a, it was on TV. So, you know, it's, I think, you know what, you know what really, I think uh, it prop, it definitely helped the ratings of the Oscars. They've been going down for years. So if, if it wasn't staged, it was, it, it would have been a good way to stage something to get, get everybody talking at, in the morning like we are. Well, it's interesting. Let's say this and then I'll move on because we have a very exciting guest. But, you know, um, I've said for years and I still believe this. Black-owned Black crime or Black-owned Black violence is acceptable in some arenas, not all, but some. So to your point, if a white guy would have slapped a Black guy last night or if a Black guy would have slapped a white guy last night, the conversation may or may not be somewhat different, but we don't know. And we're speculating, And but it's a good speculation. Now, when you think about the whole thing about Black-owned Black, Brown-owned Black crime and violence and everything else, and it doesn't surprise me one bit that Chris Rock is not going to press charges because it is what it is. Now, I'm so excited, Bill, that we have almost close to it, the first Black female Supreme Court justice. Me and you've talked about this many times. Now, she's come under scrutiny for hair. She's come under scrutiny for her skin complexion. She's come under scrutiny for being married to a white guy. But all that, she still did well. And Cory Booker said something the other day defending her because he said that the Republicans are really showing their behinds when it comes to her. And Cory Booker said that she will be appointed. And when he looks at her, he sees his mother, his sister, his ancestors, his grandmother. What do you think about this, Bill? Because we've had conversations before about it. And I heard another Black young lady on news this morning said, it's okay for us to have our names. And she's talking about her name, Kantanji. And the reason I say that is because my son, Tikamzi, was out in LA looking for a job and he couldn't get a job. And I remember us having a conversation years ago, T, do you think it's your name? When they see the word Tikamzi, is that enough that people take his resume and throw it in the trash can? So that's the kind of things, Bill, as people of color, we think about. How's our name? How's our hair? How's our complexion? And as a white guy, you usually don't think about that kind of stuff because you could be Wild Bill Hickok and you're a superstar. Oh, yeah. Bill Bill goes across all the lines. And uh, I tell everybody when they don't hear my name correctly, I said it's those things you get in the mail every month. Uh-huh. Uh, well, Bill, but, let me ask you a question, though. But one of the things that Cory Booker said, he said it wasn't much about her color. It was about her being a female. Now, you're not a female and I'm not a female. However, we have a guest who's a female and who's a leader. Mm -hmm. And I'm married to a female, my wife, 
who has been a CFO of a major organization, millions and millions of dollars here. And some of the things that she chooses to wear her hair natural. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, a lot of times in the C-suites, you don't usually see African-American females wearing their hair natural to a certain yeah, degree. It looks great. Mm-hmm. It looks great. Odell, I want to make a comment about the Supreme Court nominee. Uh, when we first started, somebody asked me, you know, what, what, what they're picking. Biden said we're going to do a, a female of color. And uh, my response was, I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think we need the most qualified legal mind that we can get. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I, I thought about that. And uh, does it disqualify people of color because they don't have a great education? Well, as I learned of her qualifications, she is more than qualified. I mean, the school she went to and the things she's done, and uh, she's already uh, been uh, through the process. I think she was Superior Court judge or something like that, and and she had to go through the congressional approval, and she she won unanimously. Now it's going to be interesting that people voted her for Superior Court but won't vote for her for Supreme Court, which kind of begs the question: What has changed? Her legal mind hasn't. But I thought a couple things came to mind. One is her grace when people were just saying some horrible things. And the other thing is her family being there. And they have, I saw a picture on Facebook of her daughter looking at her mom during the process with a look of pride, just a tremendous pride of her mom holding up to all this. This morning there was a, uh, on the news, there was a black, young black girl who's gonna go to college she has, she's one of these superstars, 4.0, cheerleader, all this stuff. She's gotten over almost a million dollars worth of scholarships. Uh-huh. Attends different schools she's been accepted. So they were asking her, you know, what is her, what does she want to do? She said, I want to be a lawyer. And one of the people asked her, said, do you think you'd want to become a Supreme Court judge? And she says, I watched a lot of the hearing and it's inspired me to go that route. Wow. Well, Judge Jackson is 51 years old, you know, 51 years old, Bill. So she'll be around a long time. So I'm glad that the whole idea is she qualified or it will a black woman be qualified. And it really brings chuckles to me because when I look on the Supreme Court justices now and who's on the bench, I think she's more than qualified to be on the bench. And I'll just leave it right there because I'm still, you know, I'm still Still a little upset when we got, we did a, like a trading card. We did a uh, Clarence Thomas for, you know, my main man, you know? So Mm -hmm. I just don't see the same thing, you know? I just don't see the same thing, if that makes sense. Yep, it does. Because how you trade a Thurgood Marshall for Clarence Thomas, and I'm not one to talk about another black man, so I'm not going to talk about Clarence Thomas. But what I will say, Clarence Thomas is not a Thurgood Marshall, and I'll leave it right there. Now, Bill, to our guests, talk about a leader, Mary L. Thomas. I mean, I got a, I got a card, Bill. I got an invitation in the mail saying, come to her celebration of her journey. And it's going to be at the BMW Zentrum. And I'm like, what's a Zentrum? You know how when we drive down 85 and Greer and Spartanburg, you see this big old giant BMW plant. So I'm going to ask her what a Zentrum is. They didn't call Zentrums in the projects. I don't know what all that is. <laughs> but, you know, Mary L. Thomas is the chief operating officer, executive director of the Robert Hitt Chapman III Center for Philanthropy. So, Mary, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. <laughs> and we're sitting here running our mouth about the slap and about the judge. 
What say you, my friend? Well, you know, uh, I was watching the Oscars last night, and I was so impressed that they had so many people of color on there represented. But it, it was a little boring at about 1030. I said, I better go to bed. You know, there's nothing happening here. And I went to bed a little early. So I woke up and looked on Facebook. and I'm like, oh, my God, what did I miss? So I saw what happened and and I thought about it. And and first of all, I'm glad that Denzel and um, Tyler Perry was there to kind of calm my brother down, wheel down a little bit. Uh, I appreciate Chris Rock's um stamina to be able to stand there and not go back at him that would have made things so much worse um but it but but when you think about the oscars and the tenor of what had already happened with the female comedians it's just what happens and i i go back to last week sitting here watching the katunji um jackson uh brown i'm gonna make sure i got her name right um she's my sarah i know that should be something that I have on the tip of my tongue, but sitting there watching her, um, yeah, Katanji Brown Jackson, she's a Delta, watching her, uh, how can I say this, go through what she went through, the interrogation, the continuous uh, doggedness of the interrogation, and her husband sat there, and her children sat there, and and the thing, and I know they did this because it's what they do, but some of it was a little bit over the top. And can you imagine if her husband had just went over those tables and slapped one of those senators? Wow. That I mean, would not he, be good. He, that would not have been good. So, you know, I if he think, could sit I, I there. I think it would have been great because they need it. <laughs> they need yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, some of us, all of us have had to sit in seats that have been difficult. And we've heard things that didn't speak well of who we are, attacking our character, our, you know, our, our work. Um, um, just things in general that is personal. And we've had to take it, understanding the bigger picture of why suffering is part of the journey. And sometimes, you know, when you have, I guess when you're wealthy like that and, and you've had uh, privileges, um, Will obviously had something else going on for him to just explode like that. I just felt like um, that was stepping over the line. Both, both guys um, need a moment. Um, and I don't defend either one of them for what happened, but I do think Will could have handled himself a lot better. It was inappropriate for Chris to do what he did, but as my grandmother used to say, two wrongs don't make a right. So there are no winners in this situation. Yeah, you're right. And speaking to your grandmother, where did you grow up? I grew up in a rural town called Packlet, Packlet, South Carolina, uh, which is south of Spartanburg. It was a southern town with um, two red lights. It was it was founded by an Indian chief, and um, it was a textile community. But I was born and raised about a mile from my grandparents' farm, and both my parents were evangelists, and they would travel up and down 85 North to Winston Salem, North Carolina, Greensboro, up 81 to Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, all up the East Coast planting churches. And we spent our days with my grandparents on the farm picking blackberries and digging for worms to go fishing with my grandfather. So a lot of fun memories growing up in Packlet. So they, they planted churches going up and down uh, Interstate 85. Wow, the East Coast, cool. yes, sir. Very mm -hmm. cool. Very cool. Oh, man, that's a great story. 
And actually, uh, they were tent revivals. They would set my dad and bishop, our bishop, they would, you know, uh, the men in the communities, they would set up tents and have tent crusades. So we grew up going to tent crusades and and, and preaching the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and winning people to Christ. And we spent our, our summer days at camp in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, Roanoke, Virginia. Wow. And that's where we got our foundation and, and really rooted, rooted in the word of God and knowing the principles of Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. You know, my, my wife's grandfather, they came from South Carolina, Abbeville area. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a salesman that went up and down the East Coast and uh, he sold funeral supplies of all things. But he also uh, bought a lot of Christian books and gave them away. To people mm-hmm. and to the point that uh, my wife's mother points out that they didn't always have enough money because he kept buying these books and giving away. And I wonder if he ever gave away books in one of your revival tents. Never know. I don't yeah. know. I, you know, I was a young girl then, and <laughs> yeah. he could have. I don't yeah. know. Well, he, he was supposed to stop at those things. And we also mm-hmm. have an interesting picture that uh, is. Uh, my, my wife's mother is an infant, probably three or four, maybe not even that old. And a guy's holding it, a real skinny guy. He was, they were down in Florida, uh, which I guess on one of the business trips. And it turned out it was Billy Graham when he was in his 20s. And uh, mm-hmm. we sent that to Will Graham up in the, the, the Cove. And they had never seen that picture before. They don't have a lot of pictures when he was young. Mm-hmm. So they were pretty excited to get that for their archives. That's great. Yeah, I died. Listen, there is a couple things. Odell, you want to jump in? Because I'm going to talk about. uh, Yeah. Just Mary, how do you go from your humble beginnings to one of the most influential persons on the East Coast and in the philanthropy world in the nation? How did that happen? You know, Odell, that's a great question. And I've I've been very reflective uh, these past few days as I. Uh, get ready to leave one year, one decade to go into another as my birthday approaches. So, but, uh, you know, I go back to my humble beginnings again, there in Packlet, South Carolina, uh, my parents again, who traveled up and down the East coast doing ministry. And for me, I would say to you that it was exposure, exposure mm. beyond my immediate environment, that there was a world bigger than the small town that I came from. Uh, nothing negative to say about Packlet. It was a great community. Oftentimes I drive back down there just to reminisce and take in God's nature and the beauty <clears throat> of, 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 of the environment and the simple things in life. But the exposure of knowing that there was a bigger world outside of Packlet, going up to New York or to Detroit or over into Canada, all of these places to a small town girl said, wow, there's a big world out there. I wonder what I can do. I wonder what who I could be. And watching my father not only be in ministry, but he was an entrepreneur. He never worked for anyone but himself. He worked, well, I would say this, he worked for a company for about a year. Young man, my dad got, mom and dad got married. They were teenage parents. My mom was 19, my dad was 18. So my dad went to work very young, and um, he decided to go into business for himself. And I never knew him to work for anyone but himself. And he always provided for his family as an entrepreneur. 
And to see his work ethic and to see the compassion on my mom's side, I think really shaped me uh, to understand that I could be and do whatever I wanted to be and do. And I think being also grounded in my faith and having Philippians 4 and 13 as my mantra, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, has carried me all of these years. And so while I might be faced with with a barrier or an obstacle, I always have that uh, tagline running in my veins that I can do Mm. all things through Christ who gives me the strength. And And that has carried me. And the reason why I ask the question, because you're in philanthropy, people don't understand with a major foundation, you deal with a lot of rich people, a lot mm-hmm. of very wealthy white people and black. And mm-hmm. I used to run a nonprofit welfare reform liaison project. And I remember once I went to the um, Samela Foundation here in Greensboro, and they had an executive director at the time. And I needed $45,000 to help our organization. And someone told me to go see her. So I went to see the young lady and she told me, she said, well, welfare is a black issue. Why did you come to me and where are the black people who support you? Now, I was young at the time and mm-hmm. I needed that $45,000. So I held my tongue, mm-hmm. I bit my tongue and she said, I'll give you the money if you can find somebody to match it. So I said, but I need the money in a week. So I left and I went to our Bishop, Bishop George W. Brooks who knew her personally. And then we went back and met with her and two days later, I had a check for $45,000. Now, Bill is in the nonprofit world also and the corporate world. He's a big time philanthropy also. But Mary, you know, it's interesting that relationships, mm-hmm. people go behind closed door in the philanthropy world more than anything I know and make decisions that don't always make this, uh, sense to me. Mm-hmm. And that was one that I got. But also, I've seen a lot of prejudice in the philanthropy world on who get what jobs. Mm-hmm. Now, again, the philanthropy world has been good to me, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying I've seen a lot that you don't think, because when you usually think about philanthropy, you think of good people who are giving away money. Yes, that's true. But mm-hmm. a lot of time the money comes with strings and the money comes with agendas. So if mm-hmm. you ever had any experience where you were denied a job or you saw yes. a crazy grant get given to someone just because they were somebody's friend or something like that, and since it wasn't your money, but it was your career, do you have anything you want to share? And then we kick it off the bill. I have a lot I want to share, and a lot of it I can't share until I retire. But I'll tell you what I can. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I write a book. So you, you know, come to Odell, we'll write a book together. I'll write I'm a gonna, book for you. Yeah, this this book this book is going to be all laced in truth. Uh, oh we're gonna, wow! We're gonna we're gonna talk about <clears throat> philanthropy, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But we're gonna talk about the, we're gonna give the truth, and I have a lot of truth to to share. But I but I'm still I'm still sitting here. I'm enduring. I, I've I've you know, first of all, let me just say this. I really believe. Um, how can I say this? You know, I was brought up in an environment where. Um, I believe everyone could play on a level playing field. If you work hard, you do the right thing. That's what we're taught. You do the right thing. You love people. Um, you give your best. Then, then you're going to get that back. And you make and you're going to get it back. But you're going to probably have to go through a few things before you really before it's really manifested. But, yes, I've, I've seen systems at play. I've seen um, uh, inequities. Um, happen. Uh, I've experienced some of that my own self. Um, but I've, but I've, 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 how can I say this? I've overcome, I overcome, I overcame a lot of 
a lot of the um, practices that could have taken some people under, uh, and I'm talking in generalities now because I can't get into a lot of this, this thing, but it happens. I think over time, we, we see more transparency in philanthropy today than we did 20 years ago because of, of grant review processes and, and things that really take out the politics, although politics are still at play. But I can tell you from the Spartanburg County Foundation standpoint, when it comes to grant making, I really believe we've got a, a transparent process that helps us make sure that we're being fair. It's not to say that those attitudes aren't still there in some, in some instances, but we have to work against that. Um, those attitudes are still there, I believe, when it comes to uh, moving people up the ladder. Uh, I would say that some folks look at people like me and maybe like you and say, why aren't you happy doing what you're doing? Why do you want more? You know, it's called marginalization. They see you in one context and think that's where you, you belong. We're going to box you in. But um, we're not boxed in people. I'm not a boxed in person. So you can't marginalize me. Um, and what, we, what I've come to realize over time is that a title does not define who I am. Wow. It's my gifts and my talents and my qualities and my abilities and my connections who, that gives me the influence and the power to get things done, regardless of what title I hold. And you know, the powerful thing about it is when you start talking about questioning and have these serious conversations, like Bill and myself say all the time, we're not questioning you like you're on a witness stand. We're questioning for a better understanding because if we don't understand, then our bias, prejudice, and stereotypes kicks in. And Bill tells me all the time, hey, Odell, I understand to a certain degree about bias, prejudice, and stereotype from a Black person's perspective, but I want you to understand as a white person, it's not... Uh, Sunday school either. So yeah. Bill, can you jump yeah. in, my friend? Sure, happy to do it. The uh, First off, Mary, I want to say that Spartanburg is lucky to have you in your position. Thank uh, you. you. You give a very good perspective and, and grounding for the position you're in. How large is your foundation? Yes, our foundation is right now $277 million. It was started with $10,000 back in 1943. But today we, we stand at $277 million. And this past year was the second largest uh, year of giving in our history with about $30 million in gifts and 14 million went out the door. Congratulations, that's, that's a huge amount for mm -hmm. community. And you, you basically uh, service just the Spartanburg area? Yes, and we're about 300,000 people, but our charter, um, says that we serve Spartanburg County. So per capita, we're pretty, we're pretty strong as a community foundation and the first community foundation uh, to be established in Spart in South Carolina, I should say. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, the I wanna talk about uh, a middle schooler that approached you about, uh, about a project that he had, a nonprofit. So I'm gonna let you introduce him and, uh, and talk about how he came into your life and there's a YouTube video by the way folks and you can you can find it if you put up Mary Thomas's uh, she has a service award so every year they give out an award for somebody that's done something exceptional and I think uh, Odama Pia uh, was in 2018 mm -hmm. he received his and yes. uh, I'll let you go ahead and talk about him and then I'll, I'll add some some context. Sure, sure. Um, Adama Pia uh, reached out to me about seven years ago, six, six or seven years ago, 
He was 11 years old. He attended, um, he, and he still attends the Spartanburg Day School, which is a, a, a first, well, I should say, it's an upper class um, private school, primarily for, for, for white children, for the most part. There are some black kids that go there. But he reached out to me to say that he was working on a project called their 20 time project. And he would be so delighted if I would consider being his mentor. This was an email that I received among hundreds of emails that I get every day. And when I first saw the email, I thought it was spam. So I really didn't pay any attention to it. I had a whole thousand other things to do. And I just kind of, you know, how you do with your emails, you park it and you move on. So a few weeks later, this email resurfaces. And I'm thinking, okay, let me just see about this email. I asked my assistant to um, schedule for this young man to come in. I said, this is for real. I want to meet this young man. So he came in, Adam showed up with his mom, Margie, and his dad, uh, Kofi Apia, his dad happens to be a nephrologist here in Spartanburg. And they showed up and he came in with his notepad and his blue shirt on and his khaki pants. And he sat down there and we began to get to know one another. How are you doing, Miss Thomas? My name is Adam. Uh, he told me about his project. I said, so what are you wanting to do? He says, well, I want to raise $10,000 to support the Boys and Girls Club. So I'm sitting there with my philanthropic hat on thinking to myself, yeah, right. How many times have I heard folks come in here with these big ideas and don't have any capacity to do what they want to do? So I'm being polite and I'm listening patiently and I'm like thinking, OK, you want to raise $10,000. You're 11 years old. So here's the first question we always ask. So how much money do you already have? He says, I have $1,000. And I, I, my attitude started to shift. He couldn't see it because I'm going through the motions of how we do things. I'm saying a thousand dollars. Okay. Well, how did you get that thousand dollars? He said, Well, I just celebrated my birthday and I turned 12 years old. And I told my friends, instead of giving me money for my birthday, to give me money for this cause. I was like, Oh, wow. yes, we're going to work together. I said, Okay. I said, What do you want to do? He says, well, I was thinking about having a, a basketball tournament. So he showed me his website. I went on his website. He already built it. And he wanted to have a celebrity ball game. Well, I don't know if you all know this or not. And although Zion hasn't played but 85 games since he went into the NBA, Zion Williamson is a phenomenon. He was here in Spartanburg, and he was a student at the day school. So I told Adam, I said, I tell you what. If you can get Zion to agree to be in this celebrity ball game, I'll get your quote celebrities. And I said, so tomorrow when you go to school, you corner Zion. And when he tells you, yes, you call me. I gave him my cell number. You call me and I, I will take it from here. And so he did that. And he showed up two days later and we, we did a thermometer. He wanted to raise $10,000. I told him how we were going to get there. And I called the school superintendents, the pastors, corporate leaders in our community, and we put the team together, men, and we only started out with men until the women found out, and they said, we want a female team, too, so we did the, thing, the same thing with the females, so to make a long story short, because you can have a whole podcast on this, um, <laughs> we had over 800 people at Spartanburg Day School uh, in, in that particular April, and um, we raised over uh, $15,000 for his first fundraiser. And that was only to be a one-time occasion. And I was only to be his mentor through that, uh, th through that experience. 
But it's seven years later, and he calls me his aunt now. He's my adopted nephew, <laughs> and he's raised about a hundred thousand dollars in the last um, in the last seven years. He has a component fund here at the foundation. He's won every award you can think about, from the Mary Thomas Award to the Billie Jean King Award, ESPN, uh, the Scrivener uh, Spelling Bee, the uh, Script Spelling Bee. The list goes on and on only because of this idea that I took a chance on this young kid and believed in his idea. And, and it could have been anyone, but I, we, we cultivated that. And now the work really perpetuates itself. Wow. What a great story. And what's wow. interesting about Adam in this community, everyone knows Adam. And this past Friday, we had about 20 young men who go to, a, who they're participating in a program called the Viking Early College. And this is a program that accelerates young people uh, through their high school um, education so that when they graduate, they actually go in as a second year college student. Wow. So we had 20 of those young men here this past Friday. And two of those young men at, reached out to me over the weekend to say, Miss Thomas, would you mentor us like you mentored Adam? Wow. Because they want to start a garden in the old abandoned school that they used to have. Spartan High built the new school, but they want to take the old school and create an agricultural type um, venue where they can grow fruits and vegetables and feed the community. So I listened to their idea and I'm going to help mentor them and, and, you know, give them some thoughts and ideas about what they can do. But this is what legacy is all about. And I would say to you, that's where I am today is really um about legacy. Wow, it's the next generation. You're planting mm -hmm. seeds for those trees you're not going to sit under. That's right. It's, it's fantastic. You know, the uh, I started looking into more of Odom's accomplishments. <clears throat> and uh, one of them was, well, first off, he was a Boy Scout. And I'm a big mm -hmm. volunteer at the Boy Scouts. So that, that was important to me. And he donated some of the money to the Scouts. But mm -hmm. the other thing I found out, he he's an author. He had a best-selling book on Amazon. That's right. And it was called... Uh, uh, kids can change the world. Mm -hmm. Twelve-step process on how kids can turn their passion into progress. That's right. Uh, amazing. It's just amazing, young man. He's written several books. It's interesting. When he was doing this fundraiser for his school, he was writing that book. He was in the uh, Scripps National Spelling Bee, and he placed number two or three or somewhere along in there. It's just incredible what this, this this kid has done. And now he's about to graduate in a few months and will be going off to college uh, and has great, great ambition. I think he's going to be an entrepreneur. I think he's going to probably end up inventing something that we can't even imagine wow. what it's going to be. Where is he going to go to college? Has he decided yet? He hasn't, but he's had offers from all over the country, uh, Ivy League schools, um, so he, he's, he's being very thoughtful. His parents, they're working through that process now, and hopefully we'll, we'll know soon. That's great. That is great. We'll have to stay tuned, find out where he ends up, and follow his progress, because I think you're right. He's going to, we're going to know his name nationwide. Yes. Yeah, I think yes. so. Well, Dell, your turn. Well, Mary, you know, it's interesting. Zion Williamson, we all know Zion is an icon, so Zion got more scholarship opportunities, and now this young man's getting a lot of scholarship opportunities, so that's great. Now, the question for you, I saw you a while back propelling down a, was it six, <laughs> a six-story building 
I mean, I mean, come on. What was that all about? <laughs> yeah, that's about an 11 story building of the AC Hotel, one of our newest hotels here in Spartanburg. You know, I get calls all the time to do charitable things. And when I got this particular call from the Cancer Association, they said, Mary, we would love for you to be one of our celebrity uh, repellers this year uh, to go down to AC Hotel. I said, to do what? I am terrified of heights. I do not drive in the mountains. I'm afraid of heights. And they kept talking to me and talking to me and said, well, we're going to have you, you have all the gear and, you know, there's going to be all the people there to protect. I mean, they, they laid it out and they kept talking. And finally, I just, I don't know, something happened in my mind that just made me forget all reasoning. And I said, yes. And so I said, okay, if I'm going to do this thing, Odell, it's for a great cause. My grandfather died of, of cancer, prostate cancer, many years ago. And I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. So I went out and got me a Wonder Woman outfit with the cape. And, and I had oh the, the boots. I had the boots. I had the socks. I had the crown. And I went and got me uh, Anthony Brown. He's a gospel singer. Went and got his uh, one of his latest songs. Um, I got that. Um, and that's God's, God's telling you that he's got that. So we had that music and I had about 30 people out there, entourage. And so when it, I went there and I was like, I'm not going to be afraid. I kept psyching myself out, believing that Philippians 4 and 13 again. And so going through that long process of getting prepared, I was fine until they said, okay, it's your time. So they said, <laughs> step on the ledge. They said, just don't look down. And I didn't look down. I did everything. And the music was playing and the people were, were how, you know, cheering me on. And people who were in the restaurant where, where they were, they all came out. And But I did it. I came down that I came down that um, that hotel, came down that wall. In a Wonder Woman suit. In a Wonder Woman suit. Now, if Bill has a chicken suit he wears sometimes. Bill has a, Bill, you think you could have did it in your chicken suit? You know, uh, I'm like very much like Mary. I do not like heights. So I probably would have had to wear a diaper if I was going to do that. <laughs> I would have probably soiled myself. <laughs> but I would say to you, that's one of the highlights of my, one of the highlights of my careers was to, uh, to do that. Uh, I think the second most, one, the next highlight was when I met Oprah in New York at the uh, Robin Hood Gala. I was invited by Wes Moore who wrote the book, The Other Westmore, he and his family invited me up to, and that's when he was running the Robin Hood Foundation, and I had a chance to meet Oprah and some of the other folks there, so yeah. How was that? Well, tell you, can't just, you can't, just can't drop Oprah's name, Bill. Bill she just dropped <laughs> oh Oprah's name, just like, you know, tell us about Oprah. How did that go? Well, first of all, that was another God moment because Oprah was in a secluded area in, this, in the Javits. It's called the Javits Center there in New York. And there are about 30, 40,000 people there. It's one of the biggest events in New York for the Robin Hood Foundation where they raised 40, 50 million dollars in 15 minutes. And mm -hmm. so I was there and um, I was stunned because the first person I met was Franco Harris. And then there was Latrell Sprewell, George, uh, Jeffrey Canada, you name the celebrity, they were there. And so I was bragging to one of my colleagues that I had just taken a picture with um, 
I think it might have been Al Roker or somebody. She says, well, Mary, I just took a picture with Oprah. I said, Oprah? And I just got up. I lost my mind. I said, where is she? And imagine all of these people. So I'm walking in that hall trying to find Oprah, and I finally spotted her. I saw Stedman. There was Oprah, Willie Geist, and Gail King. So I started to go over towards the table, and this, there was these men there. They said, ma'am, you can't go any further. This is a restricted area. I said, but you don't understand. I'm Mary Thomas, and I'm from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I've been wanting to meet Oprah all my life, so I can't leave here without speaking to her. And they said, ma'am, I'm sorry, you can't go any further. So Gail King was standing within, you know, a couple of feet of me, and I had just bought a new iPhone. So I said, I said, Gail, I'm talking to her like she's my homegirl, Gail. Now, you know good and well, this is how I talked to her. I said, you know good and well, if I give you my phone and ask you to ask Oprah if we can take a picture, she's going to say yes. I said, because it's on my bucket list. She said, really? <laughs> she said, your bucket list? And she looked at Oprah. So Oprah had an empty seat in between her and Willie Geis, and she patted the seat, and she said, come sit, in, come sit here. So wow. I went around all those security people, and I sat next to Oprah, and we had just about five minutes together, but it was incredible, incredible. She took my phone. And I think I think you are a celebrity. I think <laughs> you are a celebrity. BMW, how do you stay so humble? Bill, how does she stay so humble with all the power, the money, the influence? Because I can't, my family's from Abbeville, South Carolina, and me and Bill are still going round and round that his wife's family who had a plantation in Abbeville, owned my family who were slaves in Abbeville. We haven't figured that one out yet, but we'll we, we kind of go from there. But we understand power. We understand money. We understand influence. And you are engulfed in that world. How do you stay so humble? You know what? It almost goes back to what Denzel told Will last night. No matter, and I'm paraphrasing, but no matter how high you get, remember that the devil's always lurking. Wow. So for so for me, it's um, first of all, to whom much is given, much is expected. And if a man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. You know, I even go back to St. Peter's, the team that went to the Elite Eight. I was really pulling for St. Peter's. Uh, they got beat by North Carolina last night. And I love the coach's energy. But when he said when they won this last game, he was like, uh, what they going to say now? What I don't know if y'all saw the post game. What they yeah, going to say yeah. now? And I'm saying to myself, OK, I know you're excited, but stay humble. Hmm. exercise just a little humility because if you don't beat North Carolina, they're going to tell you what they, I'm going to tell you what they're going to say. They're going to say you're going home. <laughs> yeah, pretty straightforward. So you've got to yeah. remember to stay humble. For me, it's humility. And I think too, I have a family who reminds me that I came from Packlet. I have, I have three sisters that, you know, when I, when I leave all of this and I'm around them, we're just, we're just people. We're just family. Yeah. And we realize that I realized that if it wasn't but for the grace of God, I would be just like one of the people I graduated with, high, you know, from high school. Um, I know how I got here. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Um, my grandparents didn't leave me some great inheritance and I don't have to get up every day and work hard. I don't have the privileges that some of my white friends have. And I have to work. I have worked for everything that I have and the things that I didn't know I had to learn. Uh, I had to find people who were doing good work as the scripture teaches, teaches us iron sharpens iron. So I had to find people who were doing what I wanted to do 
and, 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 and learn from them and come back and employ it in an environment that was not always easy, in a very conservative environment, how do I navigate these systems to bring about change? And for me, that has just been a very strategic, thoughtful uh, ability to be, to be in, a, in a system and in a place. And it's almost like Paul said, when in Rome do as the Romans, learning how they do it, but then you interject your way and your ideas and, your, and get the respect. And then you're able to do whatever you want to do. So for, for me, it's just being grounded and knowing. Well, you know, you just hit the nail on the head. Before Bill asked you the magical question, how you find common ground. One thing I want to ask you, two things. First, uh, thank you. You invited me up about not close to a year ago now to come and do a workshop with one of my books. Uh, it's my turn now. Another young lady came. I just had a ball and I just love your energy. And you're absolutely correct. Everyone who I met there, respect, just respect you tremendously. But also you talk about mentoring so many people and you mentor a young man who I mentor also by the name of Marcus Thomas. And Marcus is your nephew. So he calls you auntie is not just calling you auntie. People have no idea. Marcus Thomas is a superstar and they will hear from this young man. The world would know him. Can you tell us a little bit about Marcus, please? I sure will. And he's my heart. You know, I don't have any children, but I have seven nieces and nephews. And Marcus happens to be the oldest nephew. And when I was running the Bethlehem Center, which is an institutional ministry of the United Methodist Church, you know, some 30 years ago, um, Marcus was always intrigued with the work that I did. And in that particular work, it was all, all about lifting people up out of poverty, working with the United Methodist Church to bring health and wholeness and healing to the inner city, to families and to women and children. And so Marcus, he wanted to follow me everywhere I went. I would go speak to the United Methodist women about my purpose and mission. You know, you go talk about the mission and they give you money. And so from the time, from the time he was 10 years old up until the time, you know, I came to the foundation, he always followed me. Whether, I'm go whether I went to Orangeburg, South Carolina, or whether I went to Troy, Michigan to visit with the Kresge Foundation. Marcus wanted to go with me uh, to Detroit and his mom said, we don't have the money. I said, well, Marcus, if you wanna go, you're gonna have to raise the money to go. So we wow. came up with a game plan. He was 10 years old. We came up with a little strategy for him to raise his airfare. And he raised his airfare uh, from people in the church. And he took his first flight with me when he was just a little boy. And we went wow. up to Troy, Michigan, and I visited with the Kresge Foundation, and he and I was all over Detroit. Uh, but this young kid, um, he's a grown man now, but he's always wanted to make a difference. He's got a, a heart of gold. He's yes. compassionate, and he's always asking, asking and searching for more. And uh, I'm just so proud. I couldn't be prouder to, to, to know today that he's actually in philanthropy, uh, working with the Community Foundation of Greater Greensboro. I have always told Marcus that it takes connections to have power. Uh, don't, don't be isolated. Don't sit on an island by yourself. Get connected. So when we learned that he was going to be moving to Greensboro, I connected him with some peers up there at the Community Foundation. And I told them, my nephew's coming to Greensboro. Y'all take good care of him. And I told him about Mount Zion. I had never been to Mount Zion, but the reputation of your ministry was just known all over. And I said, I want you to connect with my friends at Community Foundation and check out Mount Zion Baptist Church. 
And that's what has made the difference in, in his life since he's been there. Well, you know what? Thank you so much. Bill, I just have one more question before sure, you ask sure. her. Bill, is, Bill, can you explain to Mary what you're getting ready to do with the youth symposium and all the things? And, and I won't try to steal your thunder because this is so important. Well, yeah, as you know, I'm involved in the Boy Scouts and Odell and I were in Atlanta. We visited the Atlanta Council and for the last eight years, they do a youth protection symposium. They have two full-time staff people that uh, act as a clearinghouse for any youth issue uh, and they provide resources to the agencies that can support them, or law enforcement or, or advisors or counseling. And what it, it's a symposium that they bring in a, a keynote speaker, and then they do eight breakout sessions that are simulcast throughout the state. And uh, they record it so people can go back in. And they've done it about eight years. And uh, they wanted to keep this going. Uh, so they went to Center for Disease Control and I think Home Depot and raised two and a half million dollars from each. So they endowed the positions, endowed the symposium. And uh, <clears throat> so we, we wanna replicate that in Greensboro. Mm -hmm. and, and so Odell and I are the chairs. We're gonna do it. We have a, a, a nonprofit that, that Odell's on the board called Youth of North Carolina. Wow. And uh, so we're in, we're in the process of raising some funds. Uh, we've raised about seven or 8,000. I think we only need about 25 or 30,000 put this symposium on, but I want to raise up enough to put in an endowment to endow a full-time director that can run this and, uh, and start connecting. And God's opened so many doors. This yeah. is unbelievable. Uh, I was on this weekend. I just found some people that Odell put me on to and connected and make a long story short, they got back to me. So I got a big busy this week working on that. So we're excited. When we do the symposium, we'll let you know about it. Uh, yeah. You're welcome to come up and attend or send somebody. Maybe it's something you want to replicate down in uh, Spartanburg. Love to come. I think it's great. And that's the good part of philanthropy. I know we talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's the mm -hmm. good part. So mm -hmm. we don't want anyone to think that philanthropy is all bad, Bill, because as you know, it's not. And I just thank God for my brother, Bill, because when you start talking about race and religion and politics, philanthropy and all this, we have a saying, Mary, that it's hard to hate up close. So you cannot like Bill or not like Odell, but when you sit down and have a cup of coffee and say, Odell, why you act so crazy? Or yeah. Bill, why do you this, this, this? Then you're like, you know what? That guy's not a bad guy. You know, I don't I like agree it. with everything he does, but he's not a bad guy. So Mary, you've been misunderstood. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle it when you misunderstood? And then Bill, it's on you. You know what, Odell, you asked some very good questions and we're going to have to do this again. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got but it. We can do that. But, you know, that's that's really tough when you know you're operating from a good place. You're operating from a place of experience when you've been there and done that. And you've got folks coming along and they think they know, but they really don't. They don't have the scars to prove it. And wow. I find I find that to be true, especially when you're uh, managing people or leading folks and, and, and you're trying to grow, grow individuals to be a better version of themselves that they yet can't see. That's who I am. I don't have people around me who are mediocre. We're always reaching for excellence. And I don't accept anything short of excellence. So I can be, I'm, I'm misunderstood for some of that. I'm direct, I, you know, because I have a lot to get done. So I, you're not going to, it's not going to be a gray area. For the most part, it's going to be, it's going to be what it is. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to give feedback. It's going to be constructive. It's going to be real time. And we're going to keep it moving. 
And my, the work is going to speak for itself because the reward will be there. If you do what I'm asking you to do, the reward's going to be there. And being misunderstood, I think, is just part of the journey. It's part of leadership. Jesus was misunderstood. But you know what? He kept doing what he had to do. And that's what, and I'm not, I'm not even putting myself up there with Jesus, but I'm saying I know I'm misunderstood. But what I what I also know that I'm consistent. So if if I can be consistently committed to excellence in community and doing what I know. I have been destined to do and using all of my capitals to do it well, then I can handle the misunderstanding because the work's going to speak for itself. Time will tell. Yeah, Time will yeah. always tell the well, whole story. That is great advice. That is outstanding advice. Well, you know, let me just say something about Marcus. Uh, I got to meet him through Odell, Mount Zion. and We served on a couple of committees together and he had, a, he had a couple of nonprofits he was involved in, which we supported. And um, my wife and him got to know him. What a great young man. What a great young man. And uh, mm -hmm. he's in the right place right now. That, he's going to thrive. And uh, mm -hmm. the Community Foundation has really got picked up a gem. So mm -hmm. we're excited to have Marcus. In Thank you. Thank, Thank you for sending him up to us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the, uh, so here's, here's the question that we ask all our, our guests. How do you find common ground with people that you come up against? that don't see things with your set of lenses? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've been thinking about that. Um, actually, we had this in, in action yesterday. We were meeting with my father, who is recuperating from triple heart bypass. Wow. And he is also, uh, he will soon be 80 years old in September. And he continuously reminds us of that. So he's in a season in his life now where he is... Um, experiencing a lot of new things. How do I transition? How do I, when I get up in the morning and I don't have four small girls that I have to fight for, and I don't have a church that I've got to fight for, what, where is the fight coming from now? What is my purpose now? And we had been hearing, my sisters and I had been hearing this and hearing this, and we're thinking, dad's saying he has no purpose, but that's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, I'm trying to find out what is this new purpose? What is my, how am I going to repurpose myself? And yesterday the light bulb went off for the first time, trying to find common ground with my father. Uh, and that is understanding. So how do we find common ground? Understanding, trying, being in a position to understand. And when you're in a position to understand, for me, it means having an open heart and open ears because we had our opinion. My sisters and I thought we knew what dad needed. And we thought we knew what he needed to hear, but there was someone else in the room who heard something that we didn't hear that brought us all back to this place of common ground. And, and if I had to sum it up, I would use the serenity prayer that God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Some things in the past I can't change, but give me the courage in the midst of fear Give me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So whether I'm in a boardroom or whether I'm in my dad's living room, help me to operate in a place of wisdom to understand how I reach common ground. You know, again, y'all pastors, so I've been throwing out scriptures because that's the environment I'm in. But the word also teaches us, come, let us reason together. Though your skins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. So I got to come with an attitude 
of being open to receive. You know, we may not have the same uh, clothes or the same skin or the same philosophy. This was, though your sins be as scarlet, I make them white. It's not, there are some things only God can fix. So I'm going to find that commonplace that we can agree to disagree. And I'm going to also seek for that place that we can come to some agreement by being open to understand and to hear and to listen. Not just with my ears, but with my heart and with my spirit. Wow. Well, Mary, thank you. And I, I want to end the podcast with this. Um, I have my wife's great-grandmother is uh, of Geechee descent in South Carolina, and she says this prayer. So I'll say this prayer and then I'll interpret it. He says, you know what I down here for? I ain't got to tell you. And what she's saying is, God, you know why I'm down here on my knees. I don't have to tell you. Mm. So God knew why we had this podcast today. And Mary, Bill, and Odell, we don't have to tell them. To our audience, we say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for accepting us as we continue to find common ground. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. This podcast is proudly sponsored by... Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.